Welcome back to In the Valley. I'm your host, Steve Heyman. This is episode seven. Today's guest is uh, a lacrosse legend uh, in Utah, and he his resume is uh, uh, longer than we'll have time to talk about here. Uh, but I'm going to give a quick background on our guest, and then I'll have him introduce himself. Um, he has 30 plus years of coaching experience. He is originally from Aurora, Colorado. He played at BYU back in the early 90s. He has coached at the University of Utah, BYU, UVU, and at the high school level, as well as at multiple club levels uh, for player development. So, uh, And then as an administrator um, at several different lacrosse leagues. Um, so without further ado, Marty, go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, you know, legend is maybe in my own mind. I don't think anybody else considers that. So I appreciate that, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I consider um, you a legend. So. Oh, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's it definitely it's uh, lacrosse has gotten into my blood. And, you know, it's uh, it's I can't quite get rid of it. So um, it's been good. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I started playing lacrosse as a uh, sophomore in high school back in 1983. And uh, before that, my brothers and I had all played soccer. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we grew up you know, playing soccer. My brother actually was a professional soccer player, played for the DC United for a couple of years in the MLS. And, and uh, in ninth grade, my soccer team broke up. So I took up lacrosse with some of my friends and just kind of been going ever since. Now, you you grew up in Colorado, and it, when you were growing up, was lacrosse still somewhat new in Colorado, or was it? I mean, because we always thought of Colorado lacrosse as just a staple when I was yeah. growing up. So, yeah, talk to us a little bit um, about that. Yeah, so I grew up in the eighties, and the and lacrosse in, in Colorado had kind of made this jump from the East Coast to Colorado, where some East Coasters had had migrated to Colorado and really started the sport. And so in the seventies and eighties, it it grew quite a bit. Um, it was still relatively small, you know, statewide. There were probably forty schools playing in the eighties, um, but I can tell you, at my high school, we had more kids playing lacrosse then ran track and played baseball. So it was, it was a much more popular sport at my school than, you know, the other traditional spring sports. And our football coach was the lacrosse coach. So a lot of the football athletes uh, would play lacrosse. And back then a lot of us played three sports, you know, we'd play football and, ba and basketball, and then we play lacrosse in the spring. So it was something that was just kind of the next thing that we did during the next season in the spring. So, and, you know, I didn't play summer lacrosse. There was no real summer lacrosse until my senior year. Um, uh, we put together a little summer league and we played different schools, you know, just on a weeknight during the summer. But outside of that, there was no club lacrosse and, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it was in the high schools at certain high schools, very, very popular. Your lacrosse resume is, I mean, it's so vast and I'm just looking it over and you've been able to kind of see lacrosse, uh, grow up in, at least in the state of Utah and you've coached it at every level. So, you know, I'd mentioned before that you'd coached at the university of Utah, BYU here at UVU. Uh, you've also coached at two high schools in Utah. Uh, and you won two state championships at Bountiful High School in Bountiful, Utah. Um, and you've, I mean, you've seen the sport grow. You you went to BYU in the early 90s as a player. What was that like playing 
at BYU. And it was, it wasn't quite the MCLA at that time, but it was like the predecessor to the MCLA. Is that correct? Yeah. So I started in 1987, 88 as a freshman, and we did not belong to a league at that point. There was really only one league that existed. It was the West Coast Lacrosse League. We did not belong to that league, but we played all the teams there because we either had to go to California and play or we had to go to Colorado and play Colorado State in Colorado. And actually back then, um, Air Force had a club team. Um, University of Denver had a club team. Colorado College would play us. Um you know, even though they were a Division three team at the time. So we would go there and play those teams or we'd have to go to Arizona or, call, or California to play. And it was, it was, you know, we used to call it very ragtag, right? Like we had guys from all over the country who came to BYU and played uh, a lot of guys from back east. So we had guys that had played lacrosse growing up in high school, but it was, it was very unorganized. We had a, a player coach, you know, like um, – my first year it was Greg Saunders and then Jason Lamb when I uh, got back off my mission in 1990. And then I actually was the player coach for the last couple of years that I played there, which is an interesting experience trying to be the coach of your friends. You know, you're more just kind of the organizer, but it's it, it's a very kind of uh, ragtag fluid situation. You know, the the style of play was was much faster. We we would joke with each other. It's like, look, we're, we're either shooting the ball or throwing it away within 15 seconds. There was no controlled six on six offense. I mean, it was run and gun. And so and that was kind of our style. It was the, the way that we were organized. It was really kind of. Um, haphazard and ragtag, but it was, it was a lot of fun. It was uh, so much fun. And, you know, I mean, that kind of atmosphere led itself to some really great friendships as, you know, we, we drove in cars, we drove in vans and I think I only took a bus once, you know, so we're driving together to all these places, spending hours and hours and hours together, um, without cell phones, without, you know, CDs and without, you know, videos to, to take the time in the car. So what did we do? Well, we actually talked to each other and got to know each other and became really good friends. So, and, and we're going to touch on that later because I want to talk about the the connections that you made because you've, you've shared with the UVU, you shared with the coaching staff here, what those relationships has meant to you. And I think that's a really important point. I want to touch on that a little bit later, but I, so going from this ragtag group of guys at BYU um, and then watching the league grow um, or watching the sport of, of lacrosse grow in the state of Utah, right? Because you then spent some time at the University of Utah. Um, talk to me a little bit about what you've seen out of the state of Utah since your time going to BYU and watching where it's kind of gone to now and what you think maybe some some of the challenges that lacrosse has faced and is facing currently in the state of Utah. Yeah, so I'll give you just a little bit of history. So in 1991, Jason Lamb and I drove to Colorado to attend the first organizational meetings for what was then the Rocky Mountain Intercollegiate Lacrosse League, which was the predecessor to the RMLC. And, you know, we, we formed a league with Colorado, Colorado State, Air Force, um, you know, uh, BYU. Yeah, I can't remember all the teams. There were only five or six teams that were in it. Um, but that was the first kind of Rocky Mountain League uh, at the collegiate club level. There were no, uh, you know, NCAA teams west of the Mississippi except for Air Force, Colorado College. And I think there was one Division II team in California, oh, Whittier College, Division Three. There were literally only three NCAA programs west of the Mississippi back, you know, in those days. So 
you know, Jason Lamb was kind of one of the, the guys on the forefront of developing the MCLA. Um, and so we, we created this, you know, helped create this league, the RMILL. And I actually just little history was the first player out of the state of Utah to make like an all conference team in that league um, in 1994. And then in 1996, uh, Jason uh, Lamb and some others kind of got together nationally and started the MCLA. And, and so that now provided a framework of a organization for the non NCAA programs to compete against each other, have, you know, regional playoffs, national playoffs, have a national champion and, and kind of gave the opportunity for that level to grow. And, and what that did is it, it kind of gave BYU a little bit of prominence in the national level because, again, BYU benefited from the fact that players from back east who had grown up in traditional lacrosse hotbeds, players from Colorado, and then in kind of some of these burgeoning areas would go to BYU and it, it helped BYU become, you know, kind of a power. And that led to, you know, some you know, notoriety, popularity within the state of Utah to be able to point to that and say, look, hey, lacrosse is growing. Let's continue to grow it. And so um, then we kind of trickled down to the high school level. And in 1990, I want to say 97, something like that. It may have even been earlier, maybe in 95. I was in one of the first meetings to talk about organizing uh, youth and high school across in the state of Utah. So myself, Mason Goodhand, Joe Kapner, and Joe uh, Weiss, uh, Bob Kapner, sorry, and Joe Weiss um, were the four. The four of us showed up to a meeting and said, "Well, okay, uh, how can we start to organize lacrosse in the state of Utah?" And that was the first kind of organization. So in 1995, we started a high school league, and there were I think six teams. Uh, there were some guys down here in Utah County who helped coach a uh, kind of a Utah County-based team. Um, you know, Mark Stout was part of that. Um, and there were guys that were on that team, you know, that ended up being coaches and players within the state of Utah. Pete Stevenson was on that team. Um, you know, some other people that, you know, just started this team in Utah County that – was kind of encompassing five or six different schools. And then Highland High School had a team. Waterford had a team. Um, there was a team uh, kind of in the Murray area. You know, so there's about six teams that came together. We played a schedule. We actually had a little uh, jamboree at the end at the fields that used to be over uh, to the east of Utah Valley Hospital. And that was kind of the first high school lacrosse experience in the state of Utah. There were a couple of teams that, existed before them, but they didn't really have anybody to play. So Waterford had had a team. Um, there was a team that kind of practiced together at Highland just because there were some individuals in those schools who actually wanted lacrosse. And so they started teams, but they just didn't really have any organization or anybody to play. So in, it was kind of that 95-ish, 96 time frame when that kind of all started to take shape. 
Now, and because when I so I played high school ball in the early two thousands, and it was it was well organized. Uh, it was the it wasn't sanctioned yet. Sanctioning just happened in Utah. You know, I think four years ago, five years ago, um, and, and it was well organized, but it was still felt like it was in its infancy um, within the state. Like people would still say, like, "Oh, we have a lacrosse team here." You know, at the high school level. I mean, I competed in a, in a uh, state championship. Um, at, you know, when I was a senior, uh, with my team and and there were, I think upwards of 50 different, you know, schools in the state of Utah that, uh, that had programs. And so it wasn't in just that almost, you know, 10 year span, you, we saw the league grow tremendously, right. The, the sport grow in and in itself. And then also at the college level, I think too, um, you know, like you talked about the the growth or the 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 start of the RMILL, which turned into the RMLC, which is the conference that we belong to here at, at UVU. I think you you have a really good insight to talk about, like what what was it like once some of these other programs, uh, university wise, started joining the league? Because you did spend some time, I believe it was ninety eight to two thousand at the University of Utah. Uh, you had a couple of stints at BYU as well, um, and and those high school years as well. Talk to me, uh, talk to us a little bit about what it was like trying to grow the game at the college level outside of BYU. Yeah, so you know, my timeline. I kind of went from that little high school group in '96, and then '97, I moved to Davis County and started a South Davis County high school team that was Bountiful and Woods Cross and Viewmont, and we we kind of started a team there and and. And that kind of kept, you know, kind of kept the high school going. And then Mason Goodhand reached out and, and recruited me to go coach at the University of Utah. Um, University of Utah was in the RMLC. Um, they were a small club. It was a, it was a fairly new club. And um, there was a guy that was coaching. I can't remember his name now. It was Matt something. But he was kind of trying to keep it together and organized. And so I jumped in there in 98 to 2000. And, and again, we, all I've ever tried to do is make the game better. And so all we tried to do is have, make it a little bit more organized, get a little bit better players. And we had some really good um, uh, guys there that uh, kind of jumped in and, you know, uh, were decent lacrosse players and we worked really hard and, you know, we got ranked, you know, we got ranked there for a couple of years, um, you know, w- when we were coaching and, we had use of the bubble, you know, up there before they had the, the, uh, that their, their permanent indoor structure up there at the U they had a bubble and we would practice in there and we got good support from the school and, you know, and it, it was kind of the, the startings of that program. And then, um, you know, from there, um, I went and, uh, was coaching some, some high school stuff, but then I also was doing some broadcasting and, and doing some things on the, the broadcasting side, but what was happening in the background was at the high school level, the Utah lacrosse association was, was getting organized and they were running all of the youth and high school leagues. So while you said it wasn't sanctioned, it was becoming more organized. And these teams uh, throughout the state at the high school level would then join, you know, as part of the Utah lacrosse association and join their league at both the youth and high school levels. We were also seeing then at the college level, you know, growth at Utah State, um, you know, Westminster during this time was um, transitioning into a, uh, 
from a club program in the early 2000s, changed into a varsity uh, division two program as well. So during, the, yeah, like 95 to 2005, there was a, a lot of change, a lot of growth in the sport of Utah. Uh, you had uh, retail establishments being developed where, you know, Tribal West came in and actually created a, a retail store. Um, you know, lacrosse on a national level was exploding at about 20% growth rate. And so we saw that as well. I mean, with that, there's a lot of challenges in terms of organization and coaching and refereeing and things like that. But but the kids were really grabbing onto it. And uh, you could see it now becoming this thing that, you know, as you were saying, you know, people didn't know that they had teams. Or they didn't know about the sport. It was a transition time where people were now really becoming familiar with the sport. Yeah. And for uh, you touched on a few things I want to talk about. I mean, you, you saw the growth at the, both the high school and the college level. You also did broadcasting in there. Like you, you, your fingerprints in the lacrosse world in the state of Utah. I mean, they're everywhere, right? Like, and as the listeners are hearing, you were a part of organizing from almost the ground zero, right? Like you talked about you and Jason Lamb and some of these other guys uh, that you had mentioned there. And, you mentioned something when you were at the University of Utah, and I think this is uh, one of your major strengths that you have, is you can go into a program and if it's floundering or if it just hasn't met its potential yet, you are really good at going into a program and helping it establish and getting it on its feet. And you get more out of less uh, that I've seen, you know, even, you know, you look at the Bountiful, you look at Olympus, you look at University of Utah, BYU, and even here at UVU, talk to me a little bit about what it is about that ability or your ability to go in and get the most out of a program or a player. Cause we've, we felt that effect here at UVU. You and I both joined the staff in 2019 and, and there was a major change that happened at UVU during that time. So talk to me a little bit about that, of, of what you feel you offer to a program and to players as far as developmental uh, development goes. Well, I, I would actually say that, that that is just a core kind of um, thing that I have, even back when I was like a, a, a youth soccer player, you know, when, when I was a youth soccer player, I loved like challenging the bigger batter, you know, the, the guys that thought they were all that I, you know, I, I was an athlete who I think wasn't necessarily the most talented, but I feel like I was one of the more gritty athletes that like, if you challenged me, then I was, I was going to come at you. If you wanted to try to beat me, then, you know, great, try to beat me. Cause it's not going to happen, you know, kind of a thing. I wasn't probably the most skilled player. As a matter of fact, in terms of lacrosse, I was definitely not the most skilled player. Um, I got more out of, you know, just kind of trying to prove myself and have a little chip on my shoulder than anything else. And so I, I think that then that drives um, me wanting to make others better in the same way, right? Like at Bountiful, we used to say this all the time. It's like, yeah, we're going to do more with less. We're going to do more with less, which means we may not have as many kids. We may not have the, the most talented athletes. We may not have the biggest budget. We may not have, you know, whatever. And we're going to get more out of less, you know, kind of a thing. And, and that kind of like, hey, I'm going to – we're going to show you by doing this a little bit differently 
um, being a little bit tougher, playing way better as a team than we would as individuals, and then putting organization around it that helps kind of diversify the workload, right? So um, I've been fortunate in many of those situations that I've been in to have great parental help, you know, so parents who are willing to kind of take some of the administrative kind of things that allow us to be more organized. Uh, we want to kind of delineate the uh, the roles of coaches and players and parents and make sure that everybody kind of feels like they know what their role is. So nobody's trying to do too much. And then people can focus on the job that they want to do. And what that does is it allows players to focus on being players and, and you know, developing their game. We, we try to teach a, a game that is t- purely focused on the team and as a team, we're going to be the whole is going to be greater than the individual parts kind of a thing that, you know, we may not always have the most talented or the most gifted or the guys that have the most resources available to them. But what we want is somebody to come into a situation and feel like, well, I'm part of this team. And I'm going to get all the support that I need. My players are going to have my back. My coaches are going to have my back. I'm going to feel comfortable to, to work hard and make mistakes and as I do that, trust the process and uh, you'll see results. And, and in, in most of those scenarios that you mentioned, um, it's a longer game. Like it's, we have to play the long game. We don't see necessarily immediate results all the time. And we have, I mean, we, we, you know, we've, we've seen some immediate results where, you know, there has been some immediate improvement, but give it a year, give it two years. And I've taken groups of club players that, kind of nobody wanted. And in two years later, um, they don't lose for two years straight, you know, or being able to kind of take a, um, be a part of a, a college program that, you know, be a piece of that, that puzzle that helps kind of, you know, people feel more confident in the fact that, Hey, if I do my job, then the team is going to be more successful. So, I, I mean, I, I, you know, there's no, there's, there's really no secret sauce, but it is something that I like, kind of being undervalued, overlooked, um, being a guy that maybe doesn't have all the resources available to them and, and trying to do and, and show that you can do more with less. And, and that's been a fun kind of experience for me in, in a lot of these scenarios that you talked about. Yeah. And I think we've seen that here at, at UVU, right? Like, uh, when we join the staff, uh, when you join the staff here in, in 28 fall of 2018, going into the 2019 season, I mean, UVU was coming off of a three and 11 record, right? And I think everyone that joins the staff here at UVU sees the potential that UVU has to be really a, a really powerhouse in the lacrosse world, you know, in the MCLA world. And just because of what it lends itself to be the type of school it is, the type of people that want to be around it. And, and I think you've, we've seen that very effect that you've talked about that you've had here at UVU, right? Like when we, the first couple of years here, we weren't getting all of the best talent all the time right? We weren't seeing, we had to do more with less. And I don't want that to be a knock on any players because we, we have really talented players, but I think we, it's safe to say from, from one to, you know, in our early years there, one to 35 wasn't all the same talent, right? And it's changed now. I think for sure it's changed now, but uh, talk to me a little bit about the growth that you've seen here at UVU with that very same mentality. 
Yeah. So, you know, I had taken a year and kind of uh, followed my son and watched him play and, and wasn't coaching and, and Todd Arvin, um, he was always twisting my arm and like, we're going to get you to come coach U of U. We're going to get you to come coach U of U. And the circumstances worked out, um, to where I was able to, to come on board and, um, you know, it has been nothing but great. Like I've, I've loved every, um, part of being, you know, part of UVU's growth, success, the development, you know, all the kind of stuff that, you know, that we've done over the last couple of years, it's been, it's been a tremendous experience for me. And what I have seen is, you know, um, as you go in and kind of uh, help, you know, as, as part of a group, you know, cause I mean, look, we have, we have, what do we have? 10 coaches, Steve? We like, have, we have so we, many coaches. Yeah, it's crazy. We have 10 <laughs> coaches, which like people go, well, that's too many coaches. I'm like, look, the more the merrier, like the more, the more people we have helping these players, you now have 10 guys that have completely different skill sets that can, one of us is going to be able to help a player. You know, it, it may not always be me. It may not always be you. It may not always be Brian. You know, maybe, you know, maybe it's somebody else who can relate to that player or maybe he explains it in a way that the player understands the most or maybe the player's going through something and that coach can kind of help. What I'm saying there is we're all part of this group that has done this. You know, it's not it's not just a single individual, but what we've what we've been able to do, I think, is, you know, create some better organization around the program, uh, create some, uh, you know, a mentality in terms of how we approach the the strategy of, of, of the strategy part and then approach in terms of the effort part. Um, but the most important thing that I think has happened over the last couple of years is the the team's willingness to buy into this kind of we over me mentality, which is, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't care what my role is. I don't care who scores the goals. I don't care, you know, who gets the glory as long as we win, as long as we, and, and I shouldn't even say win. Cause that's not really, it's not really the end result. It's like, as long as we're reaching our potential, that's all I care about, you know, and our potential, you know, who knows what that is, but maybe that doesn't mean we win every game, but there's times when we've played games and lost where we feel very satisfied in terms of, what we've accomplished, how we went about our business, how we went about, you know, that particular game or event or whatever. There's, there's times that are very satisfying about the, the, the effort that was given and not necessarily just the result, you know, and Mm -hmm. we, we have had, you know, there's been some key players that have come in that have been, you know, super crucial in, elevating the level of play, elevating the standard of player that we get, you know, and elevating all that over the last, you know, four or five years. And we had a core group of guys back in 2019 that really said, okay, well, we've been here. We're willing to change. We're willing to kind of buy in. And, you know, that core group really helped set the stage for now what, you know, last year's team and this year's team get to experience in terms of, you know, having a program that they come in and know that, hey, there's some pretty uh, high standards that I've got to live up to. And if I want to, you know, if I want to be a contributor on this team. 
Absolutely. I mean, I remember back and I've talked about it in previous episodes. I'm not going to touch on my own experience any uh, anymore. But when I first got here, I, I mean, you can ex- you were there too, is there were just players that were just happy to be here, right? Like I like the game of lacrosse and I go to UVU. So I'm just going to be on the team because I, I like have, I like playing lacrosse. And the, the players that we come in now from high school, and what they see as a program is so drastically different than what it was back in 2019. Like you said, there are standards that they have to meet here. And for the first time, the last couple of years, that we don't have freshmen coming in that were like, this guy's going to make an immediate impact. We need this guy because if we don't have him, we're really going to struggle. We have freshmen that come in that can make an impact, but we're no longer reliant on an incoming freshman class to determine the overall success of a season. We now have guys that are two or three years deep um, that we can now rest, uh, you know, not rest, uh, that we can now rely on without having to. Well, we need to get really good guys coming in uh, to make this season successful. We can say, okay, I've got really great high school players coming in, but the guys ahead of them are at a better spot. And so we don't need to rely on those freshmen nearly as much. They can spend time adjusting to the game. They can develop their game uh, over the course of a year or two and be much better players because of it, because they don't have to come in and carry the load of a team as an 18 year old or a 19 year old. Um, and I think that just speaks to the volumes of, like you said, the we over me aspect of guys coming in and understanding that like, we're going to get this done as a collective, um, I don't care who scores the goals. We're going to work really hard every day and the team is going to end up with a result. I mean, I was talking with, with a player uh, two days ago um, just about how things were going and he was really excited. And he said, you know, I want the team to score X amount of goals this year and average X amount of goals this year. He didn't say, I want to score X amount of goals this year. I want to score, you know, average X amount of goals a game. It was all about the team. This is what I want the team to do. How can I surround myself with guys that are going to be like-minded? And that's a huge difference than we've seen at UVU. Um, you know, pro- that, that probably shifted about three years ago. COVID really hit. I mean, COVID hit a lot of teams really hard. Uh, changed the landscape, I think, overall in the MCLA. Um, I mean, just Cal had an article that talked about it. Like, it really hit Cal uh, hard. I know it hit Colorado. You see you really hard. Um, but uh, you know, that, that we over me aspect and the type of player we get here at UVA. And we're starting to get recruits that were highly recruited outside of the state of Utah that are now coming. But the type of player that we have coming in is, is willing to buy into that we over me. And I think that's just a testament to the hard work that, that the entire coaching staff has put in. But you you played a main role in that and, and, and instilling that hard work attitude. So, um, I, yeah, it's it's you know it's really fun to see the growth that the, the program's gone through in just the five years that we've been here, and really it's four and a half because twenty twenty was only a four game season. So, yeah, well, and the, a couple of things you, you talked about was one you, you talk about like talented players, right? Um, you know, uh, four or five years ago at UVU, like you know, if if you were a pretty good player, you'd probably get on the field. You know, like if you could if you're if you're a decent high school player, you'd probably get on the field. And, and have some time. Um, and, you know, I used to coach with Jordan Harris and, and Taylor Red and Elliot Grow and some guys like that. And, and we would talk about, like, we'd, we'd watch teams and we'd watch, like, you, you could take your top 20 players and you could take your, your next 20 players. And it was almost like the, the next tier 20 players, the second tier 20 players, never 
they never got better. Like they never developed. They never got on the field. They never got to a point where they were contributors. It was almost like your top 20 would – you'd shuffle in a couple of new guys every year who were freshmen and your seniors. And it was like that top 20 stayed the same and the bottom 20 never really contributed because they either didn't get better or they just were never good enough in the first place or whatever. And what I've seen is a, is a, is a tremendous shift there. And, and it's, and it's exciting because what it does is it, it not only lends to greater talent development, but it lends itself to the, we over me concept that we want to have, which is we're, we point out to guys when they come in now, like, look, uh, you know, uh, Seth Wilkins, how much time did you get your freshman year? Jace Muir, how much time did you get your freshman year? You know, Bryce Anton, how much time did you get your freshman year? You know, Nate Huntsman, how much time did you get your freshman year? You know, like these guys that are like these core players for us, you know, that have now been, you know, all conference, all American type players, like they didn't play a minute or hardly mm-hmm. played at all their freshman year. And it wasn't because they weren't good. It was just like they had to learn some things. There was a change of concept mainly a change of effort that was kind of the main kind of like thing that they had to learn was there's a there's another level of effort but but once they got that then they became these major contributors in our team and we're going to see guys this year i mean david parchment's going to kill it this year hardly got on the field last year but he's a fantastic athlete you know it was just kind of one of those i had you know it's like we had to learn and now he's going to you know i'm so excited for him he's just gonna he's gonna kill it there's a bunch of guys on offense that you know, guys are going to explode. Colby Roberts and some of these guys that just didn't – they were great high school players, like stars, you know, and didn't get a lot of time. We expect them to do that. But what that does is not only are they developing a skill set, not only becoming more talented, not only are they learning, but they're buying in in that time frame of, okay, what am I willing to be for this team? You know, I was a star in high school. Am I willing to – be a support guy on the bench, not care about my time, but care about how the team does. And when you get guys to buy into that, they're not only going to personally develop their skills much faster and much greater, but now that that team bond becomes more, uh, becomes much more strong. It is a concept that everybody talks about. Everybody loves to talk about this. To actually see it come to fruition is a much different scenario. I mean, I've been in dozens and dozens of team environments, right? And when you have players that are clearly better than other players, or when you have players that are working harder than other players, when you have people that are worried about their own stats, their own, the time that they get to play, when you have conflicts with coaches or conflicts with players amongst themselves or whatever, when you have all that and, you know, success actually breeds some of that. It, it's very difficult to have that we over me kind of mentality permeate throughout the team. That's our challenge now going forward is can we keep that kind of uh, dynamic within the team going forward that we were able to kind of develop over the last couple of years. I've had, I would say four or five teams that have done that and become this unit that is, strong on the field, off the field, talent wise, they've become much, much better, but they just as a team play so much better together as they might as individuals. Um, it's, those are more rare than I think they are common. Although everybody talks about it and tries to do it when push comes to shove is a coach, you know, is a coach going to do the right thing to maybe, keep the team dynamic good versus, you know, doing everything it takes to win a game. You know, sometimes 
the coaches are the problem. You know, sometimes it's, you know, it's some sort of dynamic that you have in practice. You know, are you really actually doing the things in practice that you say you need to do in a game? I mean, all those kinds of things can fall through the crack. And so to actually have something like that and have it kind of, you know, come to full fruition um, is rare, I think, in sports. Absolutely. It's something that I talked about um, with Preston Burbage because uh, his mindset between his junior and senior year changed. And it's something that, you know, him and I would have a conversation about quite often. Um, you know, I like what you said. A lot of teams talk about playing together. A lot of teams talk about being united, right? And, and the mindset of, of togetherness, right? Um, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to actually experience it. And when you have experienced it, it's very, very different. Uh, you know, it, it's that whole mindset of when you finally discover that you are limitless in, in, in your ability to achieve something and it, all it was, was, was your mindset, right? Like your mind was keeping you back. And and once you've learned to, to master that enough to then go out and perform to the level that you want to, um, and, and it opens up this whole, it's just, it's like walking in, it's a, it's a, it's a paradigm shift, right? And when a team experiences that and a team can go through that together, which I think the UVU team of last year experienced, right? That, that paradigm shift of, oh, this is what it's like. This is togetherness. This is we over me. This is, uh, this is how it's supposed to be done as a collective, right? Um, and we all eat if, if we buy into this, I think that's a huge aspect that, I mean, this team, I think can have that same potential. Right. And, and it sounds like already in fall, they're getting after it right there. Um, and I think that's a, a major point that's missed a lot is, is discovering and actually tasting what that we over me is versus just, just the talk. Cause I've been on teams in the past, right? Every team talks about it, you know, together, family, this or that, you know, the, the very generic, um, you know, team mottos, right? And, and there's no culture to back it up. There's no work ethic to back it up. There's no mindset to back it up, right? It's just talk. But once you discover it, I mean, it, it's just, it, it's a really cool thing to experience. And, and I, I'm glad that you touched on that because I think we have 55 guys this year that have that mentality and we can duplicate and go beyond what we did last year. Well, and, and really what we're, you know, at the end of the day, what are we trying to do here as coaches or as, as, as um, stewards of this program? We're, we're really trying to help create a experience for these players that they can take and then utilize the experience that they gain in their future lives, right? So mm -hmm. take this we over me concept and say, well, how many times have you seen that in a business or in a family or in church or community or whatever organization you might be a part of, again, everybody talks about it, but the idea of it actually coming to fruition is a much more rare circumstance. So if now you have 50 guys that have said, well, I've experienced that, they can then go take that into future experiences and organizations and environments in which they find themselves and implement those ideas or become a leader or become a facilitator of that idea then, you know, that's what we're doing this for. Yeah, I mean, winning lacrosse games is great. Nobody likes to win more than I do. You know, I love to win. But at the end of the day, what I'm really trying to do as a coach is help an individual player reach their potential, right? And they don't you – know, the players don't always appreciate that because sometimes maybe they don't like the method. They don't like – you know, sometimes you got to get after them. Sometimes, you know, maybe it's a 
maybe maybe the truth is hard to hear sometimes or whatever, you know. But you know, when you can get guys that really enjoy the the journey of the experience and understand that, hey, you know, the journey here and the work and the practice, I mean, that's all part of it. And it's, I mean, frankly, it's fun. Like, I mean, it's so much fun. I mean, I played, I played football in high school, hated every football practice I ever went to. Loved, I loved playing football, but football practice sucked. It's terrible. I, I mean, very rarely, very rarely. And I've been to thousands now, lacrosse practices. Have I come from a lacrosse practice and said, well, that sucked. That was no good, you know, and it has happened. But I mean, the percentage in those thousands of practices I've been to is minute. It's just the game lends itself. And, you know, if if players will kind of buy into that idea, it lends itself to just a fun, growing experience. And even the work, even the work that we have to do is fun. And that and that's why I mean, as part of. You know, I, I always list these reasons. I have six reasons why I play lacrosse and I love it. And I, you know, and that's one of them. It's just the the element of work becomes fun in lacrosse versus other things that you have to do, you know, work, you know, or other sports or, you know, whatever you're involved in. It's like, can you make this a positive thing? And lacrosse lends itself to that. But, you know, it's it it, it, it is that kind of team unity, brotherhood, you know, people use a lot of words for it, right? Brotherhood, mm-hmm. unity, we use we over me, but that idea of buying into a concept or an organization that's going to be, the whole is going to be greater than yourself and you're a part of that and you accept your part of that. It's fantastic. Uh, there's no better feeling. And I think one of the things that's lost in that, and, and you've talked about it, right? Like it's hard sometimes for players to hear, you know, and you go through the refiner's fire, like we are going to hold you accountable and your teammates are going to hold you accountable, right? Like just this week at practice, guys got after each other, right? Like, and, and, and that's not, um, when done in the right mode and in the right method with the right reasons, that's what you want to grow. That's what you need to grow. Right. And so, uh, when guys recognize I have to push my teammates right in the, in the proper manner, because I do think there, there are programs that breed toxicity in that and breed unfriendly environments, which, uh, are not helpful to the benefit of growing a player and growing a person. Right. And, um, I, I think we've done a good job here at UVU now where guys, a freshman should come in and see one. Okay. That all American, that scored 80 points last year. He's the hardest worker out here. Okay. What do I, how, you know, I need to step up my game cause I'm never going to touch the field if I don't also the defense and the offense are getting after each other every day. Like they're competing and they're not f- necessarily friendly towards each other. But then once the helmets come off and we walk to the sideline, everybody's buddy, buddy. Oh, okay. That means that I can push my teammate to get better, right? That's okay for me to try and beat my teammate every day at practice. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm going to go give him a big hug and we're going to go get food after, uh, or we're going to go, you know, hang out and do homework together, whatever it is. And we're still friends. And, and that's, that's hard because players and coaches have to understand how to properly introduce that into a program so that it doesn't become toxic. And, and it's a fine line. Sometimes, you know, players or coaches can, can go a little bit over the line a little bit, but ultimately here, at least what we're trying to do at UVU is hold you accountable. And sometimes that's, that's going to be hard to hear as a player, right? Like you may not like being held accountable, but if you can accept it for what the message is behind how it's being delivered. Um, and that ultimately here, every coach at UVU, 
from top to bottom wants to build men first. That's that's what we want, right? Like that we over me concept. I hope that it starts when every guy graduates and they start building a family. That's where I hope it starts. The we over me is a family methodology that they use with their spouse, with their children, that they're going to go in and, and put others first, knowing that they're going to be just they're going to eat just as much and be just as fulfilled as others involved in that program. And then they can take it into their community, like you talked about, into their business life and into other relationships. And I think you've seen that in, in your life with lacrosse. Uh, I mean, lacrosse has been a huge part of your life, but also with that, you've uh, you've built some really lasting relationship. We talked about it earlier in the episode, and I want to come around to it now. Uh, because you've had some challenges in your life that you faced and some of the people that supported you the fastest and some of the people that were there first were the connections you made on the lacrosse field. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, so this is something I talk with a lot with, with teams that we have, cause I, I want them, I want to illustrate the, the point, which is, you know, this is, this, this illustration I'm going to give you, this is where we want you guys to get to, right? Which is, you know, over the course of the last 12 years, my wife has had some significant uh, health issues as she battles cancer. And when, when she was first diagnosed 12 years ago, the, the first guys on the phone to me were guys that I played with, you know, guys that I played lacrosse with, like, what do we need to do? How can I help? What, you know, what do you need? And it was those friends that were the first guys to kind of reach out and say, How, what does your family need? And those have, you know, those, those friends that I've made and, and most, I mean, frankly, most of my really, really good friends um, have been made through the game of lacrosse. You know, um, my family has been super supportive of, of me being, look, I, at, this, at this point in my life, I can look back and say, look, the, the number of hours I've spent on a lacrosse field is just irresponsible, right? It is. <laughs> Most coaches, like, right? Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, it is not, you know, it has been way, way too much. I ha- I figured it out once and it, you know, it's been thousands and thousands of practices and games and, you know, uh, officiating and administrative meetings and things like that. And, you know, th- there was a time when lacrosse was, pr- you know, kind of the, my sole employment, you know, at, at one point when, when I say sole employment, I had five different jobs, but they were all lacrosse jobs. Um, but you know, it's provided, um, relationships that, you know, have lasted a lifetime and will last forever. Um, but, uh, you know, I use that example in the lacrosse community, uh, has been super supportive of me, uh, you know, in supporting my wife, you know, as, as she, you know, continues to, to battle, uh, battle cancer that, you know, they've been super supportive of my family, you know, that has been something that, you know, it's like you give and you give and you give and you give. And, and oftentimes, oftentimes we give to things that never give back, you know, like you spend your time and you, you know, you, I mean, take, take your love of a football team, for instance, like, you know, say you love the Green Bay Packers and you're passionate and you do it. It's like, well, what do the Green Bay Packers give back to you? You know, it just they're not going to. But lacrosse has given back to me uh, in, in significant ways. And, you know, it's it's been something that is just a it's a passion of mine. And 
I also, you know, I do feel lucky that I have something in my life that I'm that passionate about. I mean, how many people do you know that you're like, what, you know, what gets you going? Like, what, what are you excited about? What do you, you know, what do you like to do? What are you good at? I mean, those are all reasons that I am involved in this game. One of them is I feel like I know what I'm doing. I mean, there's, there's so many things in your life where you're like lost and like, man, I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to get through this or I don't know what I'm doing or, you know, I wish I understood this better. I don't feel that way in lacrosse, which is a great feeling that, to be confident. Like it's like I know what I'm doing here and I know my purpose and I know how to do it. Um, it's a it's a great feeling to be able to do that. And and that's what we want lacrosse to do for our players. And frankly, that's what sport should do for mm-hmm. um, for for youth. Now, look. Steve, we can spend another two hours on youth sports, youth lacrosse in particular, and why it's a complete disaster. Yep, especially um, in, in Utah, terms I of think. like what we're focused on. You know, like th- there's a whole there's a whole thing there that is we we just, our point of focus is is much is just off base. Now, I do think lacrosse in terms of um, its organization and its goals as a whole, like the people who govern lacrosse, have a much better. Uh, direction and handle than, you know, other sports, let's put it that way, you know, and I, I, frankly, I think a lot of that comes from the origins of lacrosse and the, and the creators game and the, the, the Haudenosaunee nation and, you know, where lacrosse came from, it has a core base that like, when you learn about it, it's like, there's something about this game and this sport that is deeper than, you know, throwing a ball around with a stick. There's, there's, there's something greater to it. And if you spend just a little bit of time to learn that the game means more to you, you know, and it's, it's something that, you know, I I have like six passions in my life and it's one of them, you know, Dr. Pepper's another, you know, the music of U2 is another, you know, my family is another, it's like, you know, it's a small, it's a pretty small circle and lacrosse is in there. I don't know if you watch Wrexham, um, Welcome to Wrexham, the documentary. I love it. But uh, Ryan Reynolds said something about owning a football club that hit home for me for coaching and what what you're helped to do, right? And his quote was, uh, I found uh, being an owner of a football club for a short time, so far it's been very time consuming, emotionally exhausting, financially idiotic, but utterly addictive. Um and I think that holds true for coaching, right? Like, and, yeah. and the relationships that we form here, right? Like you said, you were talking there and you talked about like, it's almost irresponsible the amount of time you spend on a lacrosse field, right? But the result of that is those relationships that you just talked about and the building of those relationships um, and, and what they've done for you in your life and, um, and the direction that you can change a person's life and a kid's life and, and a, a youth's life uh, just because you dedicated time uh, to to helping build men. And that's uh, ultimately, I think, what we want to do here. Uh, and it is what we want to do here at UVU. And the, the environment that we've now created at UVU um, and the type of players that we've attracted uh, are experiencing that. And and I can you can tell just by the time they spend off the field together uh, constantly every night there, you know, when we get on and I talk to guys, you know, oh, I was with, you know, 10 other dudes doing this. I was with five other dudes doing this. Um, and, and it's exciting to see uh, those connections being made at UVU. And I think your example 
of who was there for you when you needed it most and who was willing to support you and your family because each and every one of those guys that these guys connect with is going to become a professional in one shape or another, right? One guy may become a doctor. One guy may become a financial advisor. One guy may become, um, you know, an educator. And when your family goes through something, those guys reach out, okay, I'm a doctor. Let me, let me talk to your doctors about the results and, and I can kind of give you a, a more insight. You're a financial advisor. Well, let me talk, let, let, you know, what do you need financially? How maybe I can help create some scenarios for you or whatever well, it may and, be. And Steve, oh, right there, like I'll just give you a specific example, right? So as my wife is getting diagnosed with brain cancer, the first guy I call is Todd Arbin, who I know through lacrosse and is now one of my best friends. Because he knows the doctors and he can say, you know, I can say, look, is this the guy? Is this the guy that we need to be meeting with? Is this the top guy? He makes a call. He's like, that's the guy. And then we can feel comfortable like, okay, we're going to go ahead with this doctor. He's the best. And I know that because one of my best friends who I met through lacrosse confirmed it. Like it's a, it's a very specific like, uh, you know, it's a situation that's like specifically because of you know, my involvement in lacrosse, we were able to, you know, find the best doctor, the best scenario because, you know, it was somebody you trust. So, you know, it's those experiences and those connections are, you know, they're, they're vital to your success going on, you know, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's helped in my family, you know, and my sons, my sons played lacrosse and, you know, they're making connections now in that same way. And, you know, it's, it's, very much like it can become part, it can become a family like scenario if you, if you allow it to be. And, um, it, you know, and it, I probably speak about it in terms that are a little bit too romantic, but, um, but it, you know, it's meant, it's definitely been a key component and it meant a lot to me in my life for sure. And I, I wanted to get you on here so that our players and, and, and people involved with the program can understand the passion that are behind these coaches that are getting on, uh, that, that are spending their time with their sons or spending time with them as a player. Uh, because oftentimes, uh, you know, we, we have, you know, a player, a coach for every player, it seems like, you know, each, each guy that comes to UVU, you know, not only gets an education, gets a personal lacrosse coach. Um, but you don't get to spend as much time with these guys as we'd like to, right? We're, we all have family life. We all have things outside of lacrosse. And sometimes we get a very short period of time to influence these guys uh, throughout the day. Um, well, and when you talk about, I mean, again, going back to this more with less, right? Some people think, think that that's some sort of negative connotation. It's not. What no. we're talking about is we don't have like, like a, in an NCAA program where you might have a coach that sits in his office half the day and players can come in and actually sit down, have a meeting. They're going to talk about specific things that they saw in practice yesterday or their grades. We don't get to do that because you have all these, you know, all of our coaches who work full time, you know, and have families and kids and whatever. It is all like as much time as we can and wait, probably more time than we should spend at our, you know, during our regular work hours that we're spending on lacrosse. We don't get to, you know, do things that are maybe a little bit more personal. We don't get to, you know, maybe have all the meetings and be as clear as we should on every single thing that we're doing, you know, within the team. Um, you know, we don't have all the financial resources that we'd like to have, you know, that these players make huge sacrifices to pay to play this game, you know, and that's not lost on us as coaches. You know, it's not like we don't take that for granted and go, well, you know, 
you should just expect it. We, we are very sensitive to that and we understand that kids are making those types of sacrifices. But as uh, Jordan Harris pointed out, you know, a couple weeks ago when you talked to him, it's like, this may be the best money you spend um, in your college career. Mm-hmm. And so we have a duty as coaches to make sure that that experience, you know, is the, the best that it can be, you know? And, and I agree with, with, uh, with Jordan, like, again, you know, I, I've talked about lacrosse and its impact on my life. It's like, well, it's had a much greater impact than my economics degree did, mm-hmm. you know, like it just, <laughs> it, it's, it has, um, that long lasting effect. So it is, it is money, hopefully money well spent. That's the way we want guys to look at it. I mean, even for me, right? Like, uh, my experience at UVU was, you know, it wasn't great, um, as a player, uh, but it, it lent itself into growing as a coach later on, right? It led to that opportunity to come back as a coach, um, and, and make those connections and build something greater than, than I had. And I wanted to leave it better than I ever had it. You know, I had a lot of, uh, when I was playing here, I, you know, there was a lot of things I wanted to change about, uh, about the program. And now I've been able to come in and, and help make those changes and be a part of the, the group that helps make those changes. Cause I mean, it's a night and day, it's, it's not even the same program. I mean, it's so different that the level of support, because I mean, we still have a lot to, to grow on, right? Like we certainly haven't arrived and I don't want that to get lost on anybody that we don't, we don't feel like we've arrived. We feel like we still have a, a ways to go and a lot of growth to go through as a program, as well as individuals, right? Like no, nobody's a perfect coach. Uh, nobody's, uh, nobody's a perfect player and nobody ha- runs a perfect program, but, uh, we're sure going to strive to get to that point and, and it's going to be an ever, um, an ever, um, changing and evolving goal to hit, uh, because we, you know, challenges rise up, you know, things change and we have to go with it because I mean, look at your time here. You've spent a lot of time in the MCLA coaching in the MCLA and it's, it's a, I'm sure it's a vastly different experience than it was when you were playing, you know, in the predecessor to the MCLA and your time coaching, you know, the different programs in the MCLA to where the MCLA is now and what it offers student athletes. I think, in the lacrosse world, sometimes the MCLA gets this knock of like, oh, it's just club. And it's like, man, for some programs, yes, it is. It's just a club for a bunch of dudes to go and throw the ball around. But for a lot of other clubs, it's not. It's a life-changing experience, just like any NCAA program. There are a lot of bad NCAA programs out there, right? Like we've gone and beat up on There's some NCAA programs. There's a lot of bad programs. NCAA programs, yeah. Yeah, like just because, you know, and, and Jordan and I talked about this and I don't necessarily want to jump too far into this, but these kids are being pushed into some NCAA programs that are just not good fits for them. Like, but because it's the only NCAA school offering them and it's the, you know, Northeastern Southwestern state university in the middle of Indiana that, well, I'm playing NCAA lacrosse. It's like, well, congratulations. You're going and having a really poor experience and you're, you boomeranged back into Utah uh, because because of that, like do your due diligence on, on finding the right school first for yourself and to the right lacrosse program for yourself, because there are teams at every level that run very good programs. Um, there are teams at every level that run very poor programs that are really poorly run at every level. So, um, well, and when you talk about, you know, when you talk about the MCLA and we're not going to go too deep into it, but MCLA sure. versus, you know, the NCAA, I, I mean, frankly, I admire 
the guys that play MCLA more than I admire guys that play NCAA. And here's why is the sacrifices that they have to make are greater. I mean, how many, what percentage of our team works at least part of full time? I would say 75, 80%. At least. You know? Yeah. At least. I mean, these are guys that are going to school. They have to have at least 12 credits. You know, they're trying to have a social life. Um, they're trying to play lacrosse and they work, you know, so like they're making some pretty big sacrifices where guys that go into NCAA programs, they get a lot of benefits. They get a lot of resources. When we say we do more with less, this is what we're talking about. Like we don't mm-hmm. have the resources of nutritionists and strength coaches and, you know, basically, uh, you know, people, who, counselors who schedule every minute of the day for an NCAA athlete, you know, and that's cool. And that's a great opportunity for them. But the sacrifices that these guys make is great. On the other side of that coin, like, we also don't control their lives. You know, they want to mm-hmm. ski. Cool. Just don't go do backflips and we're happy. Go ski. You know, it's like you can do things and have a social life and have other interests and have a well-rounded experience and play lacrosse, you know, um, because, you know, we have our requirements, but it's like outside of that, you know, you have a lot of freedom and opportunity to kind of do what you need to do as an individual and as a student. So, uh, there's a lot of benefit to the MCLA and there's a, and there are a lot of NCAA players that, you know, that go play NCAA lacrosse and don't like it because of maybe some of the rigidity and some of the, you know, the control that they have versus, you know, Hey, I just want to go and I want to be in a good situation, but you know, I don't want it to control my life. And, you know, I think we talk so much about, you know, trying to make things better and be more serious. It's like, does that lose the, did you, now is it less enjoyable? Well, we're trying to find, make sure that we always have that balance, you know, and make sure that at the end of the day, this is still something that's a lot of fun and is very enjoyable and satisfying. And, you know, is something that you, you look forward to doing every day instead of dreading. And that's something that Preston and I talked about lot in the fall preview is that, Yes, we're trying to build a, a program that takes it serious, right? But that doesn't mean that you, we have guys saluting the coaches as they walk in. Yes, sir. No, sir. You know, we have the right guys that have the mindset of I'm a really hard worker. I'm 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 a gifted athlete. I'm going to show up in this uh, this time span that I've been given, and I'm going to give everything I have during this time span to get better and and to compete and. I can have fun doing that. Like we, there are times at practice that we're, we're laughing, but it's not because we're goofing off and not trying to work hard. It's just that funny things happen in practice. Right. And in the drills, it it lends to the right person finding the right program that fits for what they're looking to do. And if guys want to come and be a part of a well-structured program, that's going to take winning seriously, but also is going to lend itself that like, this is a really good and fun environment to be a part of, right? It's, it's not military, it's not rigid, but it is like, you are going to be held accountable and you are, are, you are going to need to put in effort that like, this is the right place for you. Like you're going to be able to find uh, enjoyment in the process of growing as a person, growing as a lacrosse player and being surrounded by a bunch of really good guys. Uh, There's not a guy, any guy on our team now, and it's been this way for the past couple of years that I wouldn't mind just spending time with, right? Like uh, there were years past when I'd be like, I don't want to sit next to that guy at the bus. And maybe that's bad of me to say, but like, I really enjoy all of our players now and, and, you know, and can spend time with any of them and feel, um, you know, that I'm just around a good person. And, um, and, a, and somebody who's well motivated to get better. So it's yeah. just f- fun to see the growth of the, the program's gone through. 
Well, and yeah, I would I would agree with that in terms of like the quality of, of young men that, you know, are just around and, you know, they're funny, they're good guys, they're, you know, they stand up for each other. I think, you know, they're, it's a, it's a, it's really good. And, and since I've, since I've been at UVU, that's, I've experienced that, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of really good core players and uh, guys that we've gotten to know and. You know, I, I hope at the end of the day they see what we're, you know, what we're really trying to do. I hope they see that, uh, you know, th- th- there's nothing really in it for us other than trying to make things better. I mean, you know, there's just there's just not, you know, we're not going to go make Nick Saban money as a lacrosse coach. Right. You know, that, that doesn't exist, you know, and, um, uh you know, it's, it's, we do it because we just, we love the game and we love the experience of being around the team. And, um, you know, we, we, we get reciprocated, um, by the quality of the young man that we get to be around. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I've, I, you know, I've been a, I've been a, I've, I've, I've taken a, a different journey as a coach, you know, in terms of like my coaching style and things like that earlier and years ago, I was known as kind of this yeller, this guy that would just get after people and yell at them all the time. And I I never really saw myself as that, but I, I actually, you know, I would get animated when I needed to, you know, and it's, it's something that now as I've gotten older and, you know, found a different, a different way to kind of go about things. And, I think it, it changed one of my favorite movies is the movie Inception. And when they're trying in the movie, when they're trying to plant this idea in the guy's head, Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, they're talking about, you know, a positive idea and a negative idea. And, and he says, positive emotion outweighs negative emotion every time. And, you know, as in a coaching style, well, we might be able to, you know, be loud and negative and aggressive and get a response in the short term, in the long term. Um, it's probably creating a, a more negative response long term, even even if it's just a short term kind of situation. So, you know, um, if if we kind of can create that positive element amongst the players, and there's that balance, right? Like you, you, we don't want people to be comfortable. We don't want players yep. to feel like comfort and kind of this like laissez faire or like that I'm okay. That's what kind of breeds, you know, this complacency. Uh, complacency right you know and that's and so we always want to be striving we want to be striving but but if we can be striving because we're seeking to be better in a positive way it's just it's more long lasting you know it's that long game i talked about earlier where it's like you know the effect may not be immediate but over time you know over months and years the effect is is much much greater and it's going to be long lasting. Yeah. And I, um, Jordan talked about it with the MCLA, right? It's the, the stick and the carrot, right? And, and what motivates people long-term uh, now the stick can have benefit short-term, like you talked about, right? Uh, but the carrot or, or helping people understand like, look, I'm not always, there's not, that doesn't mean the coach is always going to hug you and tuck you in at night, right? Like he's got to have frank conversations to them. There are times where yelling is warranted to get a point across, right? To yeah. the whole. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's a delicate balance because 
the the type of athlete that now plays sports is very different than the type of athletes that that I even grew up with and that you grew up with that were uh, you know that would just uh, that were used to that environment and, and the today's athlete doesn't lend to that as as well. There are a few that do yeah. enjoy that uh, that type of environment, but today's athlete wants to wants to be much more involved in the coaching process. I'll put it that way, um, and. And that's okay. That's a, that's not necessarily a negative thing. It's just the evolution of, of an athlete. And, uh, but when an athlete understands that one, the coach, and I hope every UVU athlete understands that every coach here, regardless of delivery of how they coach only wants them to get better. They are not there to, to, to make any athlete feel lesser than. They're not there to make you feel stupid. You, know, you may feel stupid in the moment because you're getting you know, held accountable in front of the team, but it's never going to be personal. Hopefully, it's never personal. So um, and I, I've never seen anything uh, you know, here at UVU that I've gone, ooh, that's not good. You know, I don't want to be a part of that. <laughs> you know, and, but I have at other places where I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, this this isn't this isn't a healthy environment. This isn't the right environment for me to be a part of. I'm 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 gonna look to seek elsewhere. And um, but yeah, I think look, we've got uh, we've we've touched on it for a while now. We've gone on for about an hour, but I, I want to talk about before we close. Uh, maybe some things, some warnings to this UVU team or some advice to this upcoming team. I've done it at the end of every episode, not intentionally, but uh, what what message would you send to this 2024 uh, UVU lacrosse team that they need to, one, be aware of or to avoid? Well, yeah. And so you, you bring up that exact uh, thought that I just mentioned, this idea of positive emotion and negative emotion, right? Like, if, if the team continues, so, so our team, you know, the, the UV team from 2023 was fortunate to have, I think some, some success, right. And some pretty significant success. There were, you've talked about this before, where there were a number of firsts in terms of games that we won, um, you know, events that we got to participate in nationals, you know, trips that we made, things like that. You know, I mean, there were, there were a lot of firsts and we, and we saw success in, in many areas, right. Um, not the least of which is just the success of creating an environment of we over me that was really, that really permeated, you know, the team. So then, then going forward, do you go forward with confidence or do you go forward with fear? Right. And, um, there is a difference between confidence and arrogance. And to me, the difference is the, uh, amount of work or the attitude in which you come into a scenario, right? So if you're arrogant, you kind of walk in and it's like, I'm here. And so I'm going to succeed versus confidence, which is, I know I've worked and I know I've done the work to succeed and I'm going to continue to do the work to succeed. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's a, an element of effort that goes with confidence. This is, these are my definitions, right? And a, a, a and some confidence and a level of effort that goes with that, that makes you feel like, okay, in any scenario now I can, I can be successful. And that is, I think a level to which our team achieved last year. And so going forward, you then go forward with fear and say, well, man, you know, we have a target on our back now. And boy, if, if we, if we don't, if we don't meet that level of success again, then we're a failure or, you know, um, or you, you get the infighting and, or, you know, kind of the backbiting of the we versus me of like, 
well, you know, now I'm now it's my turn. I, I should deserve more time or I'm better than that kid or this coach doesn't know what he's talking about anymore. Like all of a sudden, you know, and I've had that in my career where it's like one year I'm the great coach and the next year it's like, I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Like I just forgot 30 years of lacrosse, you know, <laughs> over the course of six months. And, you know, it's like, so, so there's all those kind of pitfalls, you know, in terms of where you could, where you could fall. The advice is come to work every day, do your job, you know, do it at a level that is greater than you did the day before, right? Which that might be effort. It might be a skill level. It might be your lacrosse IQ. It might be your attitude. It might be whatever, you know, whatever element in your game needs to be improved. You, if you come and do that a little bit better tomorrow than you did yesterday, then then you're on the right path. As soon as you start thinking about what ifs, if you start thinking about what was, if you start thinking about, um, you know, why not me or why him or comparing now, you know, and, and this, I guess, would be another element of this is like as soon as you start comparing you yourself or our program to others, then we're, we're off focus. We're not focused on what we need to focus on, which is as individuals and as a team getting better every single day. And it doesn't matter what anybody else outside of those 60 people do or say or think or whatever. You know, can we stay on that path? And if we can, then we'll be successful. And that's kind of what I was mentioning earlier, where it's like you have some success and then there's so many elements now that can ruin that. And you see it all the time in sports and business and families and other, you know, community organizations, whatever, where you actually have some success and then people can't maintain it because of, you know, individual pride or, you know, now they, they change the focus or they stop working that hard or, you know, whatever it is, there's, there's so many ways now that it's difficult to keep progressing forward. And, and, you know, I, I think it's pretty simple for us. It's just focus on us and what we do in it as individuals and be a little bit better tomorrow than you were today in any of those particular areas, skill, effort, attitude, um, you know, your lacrosse knowledge, being, just being a better teammate. You know, and we have three rules on our team. One of them is, and, and they come straight from the greatest coach ever, John Wooden. One of those is don't ever criticize your teammate. And if you're never criticizing your teammate, that takes away one of the pitfalls, which is this competition that says I'm better than you. And now I'm offended because I'm not playing as much as you. And because I'm better than you and you're not as good as me. It's, so there goes the whole we, versus, we, ver, we over me thing right there. You know, it's this, you know, I just, I deserve better. I deserve more versus I'm going to work my butt off to have my role on the team. And then whatever that role ends up being, I'm going to do it the best that I can. You know, and if that role is I'm supporting my teammates on the sideline or I'm on the scout team or whatever it is, I'm doing that because one, I'm going to get better, but two, I'm going to help my other teammates get better as well. And again, easy to, all that stuff's easy to talk about. Mm -hmm. All coaches talk about that, right? Sure much more difficult to actually have that in play on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and one so, of the things that, that that comes to mind when you talk about that for me, and it's a, we have a leadership council that we've, we've created here at UVU. That's, it's all about leadership and personal growth. One of the main enemies to any type of growth, whether it's in an organization or an individual is the ego, right? Once your mm -hmm. ego takes over, 
when you feel like you deserve more over somebody else and th- and that ego takes effect right which is i deserve more time than that guy because i think that right rather than okay I may want to be better than that guy and I want to have the time that that guy has. How do I get the work to get there, right? The mentality shift of that. Um, but once ego is involved, uh, it's it's very difficult to to be a high performer because that ego is going to bite you in the butt somewhere. It's going to come back around and it's going to have a negative effect. Always does. Ego always has a negative, negative effect. The confidence behind right? The, the antithesis to that is the confidence that you can come into a situation with, right? Okay. That guy's got the starting job over me. I'm confident that if I continue to work hard, if I continue to improve that I can take that guy's spot, not because I don't want him to have it, but because I'm going to work hard to earn it, right? Not because it should be given to me. Um, and that's the, the we over me concept. Um, and in, in a line with that is how do you handle external um, negativity, right? Uh, anytime there's growth, either as an individual or as an organization, people are very comfortable with where you are currently at. They know that, that they're familiar with that, right? And so as a program, as we've grown, we've seen that there are programs uh, that don't want to see us succeed, right? And, and that are going to be very quick to be negative about the growth that we've had and try and diminish that growth. And there's not one necessarily one particular program, just people are uncomfortable when somebody starts to step outside of what they normally are. And so as a team, one of the things that I would warn this team about too is is ignoring the external negativity, right? Ignore uh, what other teams are going to be saying about you. Ignore what other players are going to be saying about you. Ignore whatever it may be uh, that that's going to say, well, you'll never be what you were last year, or you'll never be what you were two years ago, or you can't replicate that because of X, Y, and Z, right? That's the oh, danger. Yeah. You know who's doing that really well right now? Like this is there's a good real world example of that is University of Colorado football. Sure, right? Like, I mean, no matter no matter your thoughts on Deion Sanders, positive, negative, whatever, but they basically were lamb blasted by everybody to say you're not going to be good, you can't do this, you can't succeed, you can't, you know, you have no players. I mean, they have the top, you know, Tom Luganbill out there saying you have a worse team than university of Massachusetts. You have no talent. I mean, it's like, if you listen to all that, you know, or positive or negative, you know, it's like, you got to figure out how you're going to let that fuel you. Right. And they've, Mm -hmm. they've, uh, you know, it's been, it's been fun to me. It's actually been fun to watch and go, look how they have handled all of this kind of stuff. And even this week, you know, they've got a game against Colorado state and the Colorado state coach makes a little comment and, it's like the way they're handling it is been, I think, really interesting to watch, you know, as they watch all the outside noise. And is, is that impacting their, you know, their, is it impacting them internally, you know, and how that impacts them internally? And it, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that, you know, how that shakes out for us this year. Yeah. And how, how you handle emotion, right? Because uh, you, emotion's going to come. 
And do you allow the emotions to lead you into a negative outcome or do you use that emotion in towards a positive outcome, right? You have control over, uh, over how you respond to the emotions that you're feeling, um, and to the external, right? So in any given moment, the ref makes a bad call, right? Are you going to spend the next 30 seconds worrying about the bad call the ref just made? Or are you going to use that emotional response to then go, I need to go get my job done. I'm not going to change his mind. He's already made the call. You know, it's the coach's job to get in his ear to make sure that call doesn't happen in the future, but I need to respond in a positive way, right? Or I was a very emotional player and I played with a lot of negative emotion in the sense that like if things didn't go my way, I was going to go prove a point in a negative way. Um, And at the time I didn't realize that, but, and it ended up just hurting my team overall. Like I played hockey in high school and, and I got a penalty late in the game once because I was a selfish player and it ended up costing us the game and we were out of the playoffs. And, um, and the life lesson learned is like, I can choose how to respond to, uh, these emotional setbacks or these emotional things that happen in a game that calls that don't go our way. The opposing team says something right. And if I go out and I headhunt at that point, which is, you know, always going to lead to the negative. If I respond negatively to that, or I can go out and say, okay, I'm going to go prove a point. I'm going to work harder and I'm going to, you know, do things the right way to show them that, that I'm a better player. That that's going to be important uh, going forward too. It's just how, how do our players handle that? Because there are going to be people, every team, like we've already talked about it. There's a lot of talk that goes on, uh, especially in conference uh, that happens. So uh, how do we handle that now? Uh, uh, the, the newfound focus of, of being the defending champion and, and how do you internalize those, those emotions? And I say emotions like it's, but th- those expectations and, and, and move yeah. forward with it. So, uh, well, uh, you know, we've, uh, we've been talking for about an hour and a half here. Is there any, anything else that you want to uh, say here in closing before we sign off? Well, we got to talk again about like lacrosse strategy and, you know, <laughs> yeah. we got, we got to talk some lacrosse and, you know, this has been great. I appreciate it. I mean, it's, it, uh, you know, I, I could talk for hours. Um, this is, uh, a game that is, um, you know, I love every element of this game. You know, it's just, I love everything about it. And, you know, that, that could be unhealthy, you know, and maybe in some ways it is, but, you know, I've also, I also try to recognize the, the blessings that it's brought to my life, the associations and the relationships that it's brought to my life, the experiences that I've gotten to have, the travels that I've had. I mean, it's taken me all across the country I've got to coach thousands of players. Um, I've seen players. I've got to see players who, and again, we talked about this earlier. I love the underdog, right? I've I've Mm -hmm. seen players cut by other teams who we've been able to take in and help succeed and have good experiences. I've seen players that, you know, have gone on to great success. You know, there's some, you know, I've got to coach some division one players and, other players that have played at the MCLA level and division three. I mean, I've, I think I've been able to, to coach probably over a hundred players that have played in college, you know, um, and, and hopefully, you know, all of them come out of that with at least some respect from the game. You know, I, I hope they love the game. You know, I hope they see that the game can teach them lessons that will provide experience and provide perspective for situations that they may come in 
into in their lives. You know, I used to justify, you know, kind of being this meaner coach by saying, look, you're going to face meaner things than me. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to face things on the field that are meaner than me. You're going to face things in life that are meaner than me. And so it kind of justified, like I'm, I'm making you tough and you know, that, that doesn't always work, but, um, you, you will, we're all going to face challenges. You know, I, I unfortunately had a a player just this last week who passed away very quick, um, very quickly from cancer. And, you know, the, the challenges now that, you know, his friends and family are going to have to, to face. And, you know, these are things that come up and the game, the game can teach us that the relationships will help us through that. Um, and, and so, you know, we've talked a lot about this in, in this particular, um, discussion. And so I just leave you with, you know, that, that these can, if you will allow it, you know, the relationships and the associations that you make in this game will become the greatest part of it for you, which has been that that's been the case for me. Yeah. And, and for me as well. And I think we, we want, we don't want anyone to lose focus of that uh, with our players and with those, the parents associated with everyone involved in, in our program is that's what we're trying to accomplish here. And, and if we can get guys to buy into that, we are going to win a whole lot of lacrosse games as a result of that. Right. And we're going to draw really good talent in to be a part of that. But uh, deep down in, as a coaching staff from top to bottom, we care about players and their success off the field and what type of men they're becoming. And we're going to do everything we can. Like you said, sometimes you do have to, they are going to face tougher things than a coach yelling at them on the lacrosse field, right? It's not personal. Uh, but those are sometimes that is necessary for guys to understand of like, Hey, we've got to prepare you because life is coming. Right. Everybody, it doesn't matter how good looking you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much attention you get or don't get. You're going to face a challenge at some point in your life. Uh, everybody does some more than others. Um, some, some more visible than others, but uh, challenges are coming and, and we are here to help, hopefully help teach you how to overcome those and that there's a support level there for you. Um, and you kind of joked about it. Like we, we didn't really talk lacrosse much. Um, uh, we talked more about the benefits of, of, uh, what this sport can do for you and in, in your personal life, the connections you can make, um, and the impact that it can have on you and in your family. And, but that's one of the things that, that I wanted to bring you on because of your 30 plus years of experience in the lacrosse world, you've been able to, uh, impact, multiple lives in a positive way, right? And you've been able to uh, be a part of the change that's happening in, in multiple programs and here at UVU. And, and I don't want that to get lost on anybody. Um, and and the, we all face challenges, right? And, and like you said, you, you have a unique challenge that you're, you're facing in your family. And lacrosse has been a benefit of, of the support that, that you've faced from that. Um, or that you've, you've received from that. So, uh, Marty, look, we're going to get you back on. We'll talk lacrosse. Um, cool. we'll get coaches on, we'll have a coaches show and, and we'll do more X's and O's, uh, shows for sure. Uh, but I want to get coaches on to really share their experiences. So I really appreciate you taking the time and, and coming on the podcast. Well, you're doing a great job, Steve. We appreciate all that you do. And you know, the, the, all those kinds of behind the scenes stuff that, you know, doesn't get recognized. We appreciate what you're doing well, and, you. and your, your huge contributions to the program and the podcast has been fun. It's, it's fun to listen to people because everybody's a, uh, you know, everybody's a, a radio announcer now, right? right? <laughs> 
everybody's a videographer, everybody's a uh, photographer, and everybody is a podcaster, you know, in, in the world today. It's like, you know, before people didn't like to do this stuff. Now everybody can do it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, I, you know, like I talked about before, uh, you know, we did it for fun and, and it's it's grown. I mean, we have hundreds of listens per episode and that just never thought that would be the case. But, um, you know, we're going to keep going forward with it. It's a really good opportunity to give voices to people in the program and for people, uh, you know, parents, grandparents, you know, people who are associated with the program to get a peek behind the curtain. So we're going to keep doing it and I appreciate you coming on. Uh, but this is going to be it for In the Valley. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Hey, bring some fire today. Together on three, one, two, three. Yeah. Get back, get back.